When a young boy has memories of another place, you have to wonder, is he a kidnapping victim or a child sent from another reality? And then we travel back in time to the days of King Solomon, where we will investigate a relic so powerful the forces of darkness can't even comprehend it. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun in this beautiful weather. If you're listening to this episode as I'm recording it. Otherwise, it might be the end of the world. It might be the day after tomorrow and you're out running a cold storm. But someone who could always outrun the temperature, give it up for our newest Patreon supporter walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. It's Blitz Neo. Woo, yeah! Come on in, Blitz Neo. Come in, shut the door. It's super cold out there. People are like, why do you keep referencing a movie that came out 10 years ago? Blitz Neo, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family how much you love listening to Dead Rabbit Radio. Blitz Neo, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys for the Dead Rabbit Dune Buggy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're driving all the way out to a pediatrician's office. Dead Rabbit Dune Buggy's kicking up dust everywhere. Blitz Neo's like, why are we taking the Dune Buggy to this pediatrician's office? Well, you will find out very soon, Blitz Neo, along with the rest of the listeners here. We're headed out to this pediatrician's office because we're going to visit a young boy. He's only four years old. That's a tiny little guy. Four years old. And we walk into this pediatrician's office and we see this young man. He didn't post his name online. We're going to call him Maxwell. We're sitting in this pediatrician's office reading these magazines, playing with that weird wire thing. Remember, he used to take the wooden blocks, just kind of push them up and down the wire. You want to talk about some weird mind control MK Ultra toy? What was the point of that toy? It was in every doctor's waiting room. They may still be in doctor's waiting rooms, but you know what I'm talking about? The metal wire, and they're like loopy, and you move the toys around. No one ever owns those outside of a doctor's office, but... Maxwell says that this happened quite a few times and he was four years old. He said he'd go to the pediatrician's office with his mom. And then he would walk down the hallways of a stereotypical doctor's office. We've all been in them. But this, but this doctor's office actually opened up into a wide hangar, like an aircraft hangar. And in this aircraft hangar is a table. A little medical table. <laughs> it's not like a card table. It's not like a folding card table. He's brought to the table, and he gets up on the little bench, the little leaning back medical bench thing, seat, whatever they call it. And he's sitting there, and a doctor shows up and gives him an anesthesia. Now, I don't think it was like a topical one. I don't think they gave him like the shot in the arm to numb the arm or a shot in the mouth to numb the mouth for dental pain. I think they actually put him under. He doesn't specify, but he says they gave him an anesthesia. So I think it was that general whole body anesthesia. And he said this happened quite a few times throughout his childhood. He remembers this happening all the time. But then one day, when he shows up at the doctor's office, he walks through the totally normal doctor's office on the outside. He walks down this hallway. He enters the aircraft hangar. He gets up on the table. And the doctor tells him this time, 
Maxwell, this is the last time you're going to be visiting me. In fact, this is the last time you're ever going to see me. It's time for you to go. The anesthesia is administered and Maxwell blacks out. The next thing he remembers is sitting in his house. But it's not his house. His mom's there. It's somebody's house, but not his. Not the house that he had lived in his entire life. He looks around and it's different. Even at an early age, he can realize this is not the place he grew up in. But his mom's here and his mom is acting like this is their house. And he asks his mom, hey, where am I? And the mom goes, you're home, honey. <laughs> it's kind of a weird question. You're home. Maxwell goes, this isn't my home. Like, I used to live somewhere else. And the mom goes, no, Maxwell. <laughs> I mean, unless you own your own home, unless you have a mortgage that I don't know about, this is the home you grew up in. This is the only house you've ever lived in. This is our home. And the mom just goes about her business. Maxwell's sitting there on the couch, and he can't figure it out. This isn't my home. Maxwell ends his post by saying, The world has behaved differently ever since I last was in that aircraft hangar. Things aren't the same as I remember them. Now he says, I'm sure you guys think I'm trolling. I'm sure you guys think I'm making this up, but I have really no way to prove it to you. I am not from here. And obviously people start asking questions about this. It's a really, really interesting story. People start asking questions about this and they go, what do, what do you mean how the world behaved differently? And he goes, what I remember from... Being a little kid. He's not five when he's posting this. This was years ago. And this post is actually from the year 2012. He goes, what I remember of the world was that there was a lot more dirt everywhere. Not a wasteland. Not an apocalyptic landscape. There's just more dirt. I remember there being sand everywhere. The other thing that I noticed that's most obvious, outside of all of the sand, cars looked different. They just they, they just seemed to be different styles. Like when I started looking around, I didn't recognize any of the makes and models of those vehicles. And, and that, those were the two biggest differences. The sand and vehicles appear differently from his memories as a young boy to the day that he was in this new house. This is a fascinating story. I really, really like this story. It could totally be made up, right? This is an anonymous post online. But what I find interesting is that we have two rational answers and two paranormal answers. One, we could easily see this. The rational answers is kidnapping, right? His mom could have kidnapped him from another custodial parent or from another country or something like that. The kid could have been put under general anesthesia. I, I, assuming the story itself tr is true, like the framework to me, he's put under. So when his mom loads him up on the plane and flies him from Dubai 
to America, he's not freaking out the whole time. Being like, no, no, I'm being kidnapped. My dad's over there. Right? That could be a possibility. And then his mom... I mean, that would be kind of a bold kidnapping thing where you're gaslighting the kidnapping victim. You kidnap someone from their house, take them to your house, and you're like, what? No, you never lived there. And she's like, I clearly have the keys to a different house. I'm trying my keys in this door. It's not working. Like, that's a pretty bold kidnapping thing. But, you know, you're four. Possibility. The other one is... The other option is that this kid could have been an immigrant coming from a place that had a lot of sand. Let's say somewhere in the Middle East or somewhere in Northern Africa. And he's coming over and he it's such a culture shock to him. That's the only way he remembers it. Maybe the framework isn't correct. Maybe he wasn't walking into this large aircraft hangar. The human memory is faulty, right? And he could have been an immigrant from another country and he just has no other way to explain it. Other than this weird, fantastical tale. Now, both, both of those I said were rational. Obviously, you have to do some sort of bending, some sort of mental gymnastics. The cars in Saudi Arabia are the same cars in Detroit. But maybe they were just fancier over there in his neighborhood. And now he's over in America or wherever he went. I'm assuming he's in America, but that you know that's just because I'm, I'm from America. He's like, oh man, look at all these beaters. Look at all these pieces of junk driving around. But then we have the paranormal answers, which I just love as well. And I think this is probably what a lot of people who were reading this thought, and maybe even you while you were listening to it. Time traveler. Being sent back in time to a world before the sand took over. He may say it wasn't an apocalyptic wasteland. But anywhere with sand everywhere, assuming again you're not in a sandy region of the world... That doesn't sound like the best. That doesn't sound like a ton of fun. You're like, hey, mom, I'm home. They canceled school because a sandstorm hit. It doesn't sound super comforting. So maybe he was sent back from the future to join us in a more comfortable time. Also, alternate realities is another one that you could really hang your hat on because of the changes of the vehicles. It's interesting because when we look at alternate realities, when we look at timeline changes, it's never. I remember, well, some people some people said they've had these events, but in general, Mandela effect theory, it's not, that's weird. I remember Mitt Romney beat Barack Obama, and we had four years of Mitt Romney, and then Hillary Clinton was president. It's never these huge timeline shifts. It's Berenstein Bears versus Berenstain Bears. The easiest changes in the timelines would be choices like that for a huge shift, like who was elected president at what time, that would be so different. That would be a parallel reality that wouldn't even be parallel to ours. It would veer off wildly in one direction. If Hillary Clinton had won instead of Donald Trump, if Abraham Lincoln had not been assassinated at the end of the Civil War, these are huge changes. They veer off so wildly. But, whether or not when you have a bunch of eggheads at Ford and they go, hey, we're coming out with a Mustang and here are our designs for this new 2022 Mustang convertible. And they have five designs and people choose one over the other. That's not impacting the world. That's just a different style of car. When you're looking at who do we cast in this movie? Do we cast Ryan Gosling or Ryan Reynolds? That's not a massive change. 
So little things changing. Plots in stories. Stories not even being published in the first place or being published by a different author. Those are the little changes that would be a parallel universe. You'd still have Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden, but a couple cars were designed differently. Throughout the timeline, a couple different people got different jobs. It's not going to impact your day-to-day life what style of car you're driving. So that tracks with the parallel universe theory. And that also tracks with what we know of the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect, a lot of it is people misremembering things. But some of them, Berenstein Bears, for example, I know for a fact, was called the Berenstein Bears. So he could have come from an alternate reality. He could have been sent over here, which would be an interesting trick of the Mandela effect of parallel universes, because from what we've seen, people slide in and out of them accidentally. We all the kind of the going theory of Mandela effect is there was some sort of huge disaster around 2001 outside of September 11th. Something bad happened. Millions of people were sent over to this new reality where there's been slight changes in the timeline. That's kind of how the Mandela effect started. That was the initial theory of what happened. But the idea of purposely sending people over to different timelines, that's very intriguing. That's a fairly new theory. People being sent here from somewhere else. Which begs the question, if the technology exists to slide... Into a parallel universe. Don't steal my ID for a television series. I have five seasons mapped out. If you have people sliding from one parallel universe to the other, if this technology exists in other universes, would that mean it's possible, because the variations would be very slight between universes, is it possible that that technology exists today? Could you purposely, not accidentally, could you purposely send people to alternate realities? Very, very interesting story. If this story is true, super fascinating. A young boy finding himself in a different house and seeing all these differences, and he has these faint memories of this old childhood. It could also have been a series of dreams, right? He could have had a baby stroke. It could have messed up his brain. But (laughs) that was a very depressing theory, but that's possible as well. But are people not accidentally coming into our universe? Are people being sent over here on purpose? And for what reason? Who knows? Is it possible that we are the best timeline? That as chaotic as things seem, this is the best timeline out of all possible timelines? So people are coming here, but we're not sending people to other timelines? Fascinating story. And we'll never know the truth until we find ourselves standing in a house that's not our own and there's sand everywhere. You're like, dang it, I just cleaned up my house in my own reality. Now I'm in this dirty reality. This sucks. Blitz Neo, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We're leaving behind this sandy reality. We got to kick all the dust out of the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind this alternate world. We are headed all the way out too. Bible times. You didn't know that was a place? You can find it on a map. Specifically, obviously, when I say Bible times, we're headed out to ancient Israel. This is nuts. This is one of those stories that I came across, and there's so many questions that you can ask about this. There's two in particular we have to focus on. Otherwise, this episode's going to be three hours long. But recently, I came across this thing called... Solomon's Shamir. 
Never, ever heard about this thing before. Absolutely fascinating religious object. This thing should be as popular as the Ark of the Covenant. This thing, Indiana Jones should have chased this thing. We're back in 900 BC. We're back in this era of time, which seems incredibly recent if you think about how long history has been. Humans have been around, civilized humans have been around for like 10,000 years. Empires rose and fell and were wiped out of the history books by the time we're at King David in Israel. This is all in the Old Testament. You have little David before he's king. He kills Goliath with his sling. He unites the 12 tribes of Israel. He conquers Jerusalem. He brings the Ark of the Covenant, that holy relic, into the city. And he said, I want to build a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a basically a biblical super weapon. You would, oh, I mean, it's like right out of the movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, I know Raiders of the Lost Ark was based on the biblical story, but it's insane. It was this box that had to be carried by four people. It had to have all this special lining on it. If you opened it up, your face melted. You would open it up and it would devastate cities. And this was a wonder created by God and given to the Israelites to use against their enemies. We've covered it a lot on the show. I'll find all the cool episodes. I'll put them in the show notes. But the wars are done at this point. King David has united all 12 tribes of Israel. They're in Jerusalem. And he goes, I want to build a temple for this Ark of the Covenant. And I want to build it in Jerusalem. And I want to have it available for all Jewish people. All of these tribes that have been separated, this will be a home for us all. This will be the Holy of Holies. And in this temple, I want to build a windowless sanctuary where God can visit. God can come down from heaven to earth and rest. Just chill out for a while, right? He has given us so much, we are going to give him, we're going to give him this windowless room. God says, nope, (laughs) not because I don't want to be in a windowless room. I really like your idea of the temple. But King David, you have spilled so much blood. These these wars that I commanded you to do, they're good. You won, but you killed too many people. You cannot build my temple. And that's when we meet Solomon, King David's son. Now, Solomon eventually becomes king himself, and he is allowed to build the temple. And King Solomon's a super interesting character because what happens is to build the temple, he gets a magic ring called the Seal of Solomon. This is actually where the Jewish Star of David, that symbol that is on the Israeli flag and that symbol that is sacred to so many Jewish people around the world, it comes from King Solomon's ring. This ring, this magical ring, is where that symbol is from. That's why it is given so much importance. This was the ring that King Solomon wore. And this ring was engraved by God, and it gave King Solomon power over demons. He goes, you know what? I could build this temple. I could have all these people do this stuff, but I'm going to let my Jewish brothers and sisters rest on this one. I'm going to use this ring 
to control demons. I'm going to call them forth from hell and put them to work. I'm going to make them build this temple. And that's what he did. He used this ring to call forth these demons and they fell under his control. Could you imagine if someone got a hold of that ring today? What you would be capable of. <laughs> Hopefully something good. Hopefully just building buildings. But we're here specifically to look at Solomon's Shamir. I've always heard about the stories about the seal of Solomon, the ring, him able to control demons. I was very familiar with that stuff. I've never heard of this before. Solomon Shamir is considered one of the ten wonders that God created on the sixth day of creation. He created these ten things to give to man. One of them is a donkey that talks. <laughs> one of them, in the Bible, there's a story about a donkey talking. And people go, well, that's impossible. This donkey's giving people advice. God created that donkey on the sixth day. That's one of the ten wonders of God. One of them, this is so fascinating to me, one of them is a pair of tongs. A pair of metal tongs. Now, all of this stuff has come... I have never seen any of this stuff in the Bible. But a lot of this stuff came from rabbis and theologians and philosophers as they're interpreting biblical works and the Talmud and the Quran. As they're looking through all of this stuff, they go, God must have created the tongs, the metal tongs that you use to put stuff into a furnace. Because you cannot create metal tongs unless you have a pair of metal tongs. You could not hold the metal over the heat for long enough to be able to forge metal unless you already had forged metal to forge this new metal. So the belief is the very first, so fascinating, the belief that the very first pair of tongs, of metal tongs, to be able to do metalworking was created on the sixth day by God. But again, Solomon's Shamir. What this Shamir is, in a nutshell, there's a lot of debate over what this is. Apparently, it was a worm. There's a lot of references in the text calling it a worm. So a lot of people believe this was some sort of living creature. It was a worm that had the ability to cut gems and diamonds you could use this shamir to basically etch into any surface imaginable. According to the Talmud, it says, quote, The shamir was, without doubt, an extraordinary object as it possessed the ability to alter stone, iron, and diamond by its mere gaze. Unquote. So again, we're talking about something that a lot of people believe was alive. Because they keep calling it a worm, and they keep talking about it being able to see something. Now, we call it Solomon's Shamir, but it actually originally belonged to Moses. So we're going back to like 1300, 1400 BC. And Moses got a hold of the Shamir and used it to create the breastplates for the high priests of the Israelites. He'd use the Shamir, and it would basically carve in these symbols and sigils and holy icons into this metal breastplate. Apparently very ornate designs. But this thing's dangerous. While Moses was using it, it almost scalded him. He's lucky. 
Because a couple people got killed by this thing. Moses has it in, say, 13, 1400 BC. And when King Solomon is having his temple built, he's watching all these demons build stuff, but he's like, you know, I want stuff to be a little more elaborate. I want that Shamir I've heard about. King Solomon goes, I know that Moses used to have this thing called the Shamir. I want it. And what he does is apparently, there's different versions of this story. Apparently, he contacted the demon Asmodeus and demanded that he give him the Shamir. And because he has the seal of Solomon, Asmodeus, who at some point must have gotten possession of the Shamir, gave it to King Solomon. But when King Solomon gets it, it's the size of a barley corn. Which I'm assuming is pretty small. I don't know if in Israel they grew these giant pieces of corn called barley corn. It was this tiny little piece. Because when you used the shamir, it actually reduced in size. He takes it. He takes, he takes this tiny little guy. He's a little disappointed. Thought it'd be bigger. And he wanted to use this to do very special carvings in the temple. Because he was told, remember, his dad wasn't even able to build it because he spilled too much blood. He was told that... You couldn't have any bloodshed during the building of the temple. So if you were like hammering something or sawing something and you accidentally slit your finger, you pretty much had to demolish the place. You couldn't spill any blood. So using the shamir, they were cutting very intricate cuts into the building block. Some people say that whole pieces of stone were just set in place, and then the shamir was used to carve it into a usable structure. Because a lot of people have debated over what was actually going on. But we look at the shamir being used by King Solomon, or King Solomon's people, because this thing was super dangerous. Just like the Ark, it had very special precautions. When it wasn't being used... You needed to wrap it in wool and bran. Not bran flakes, but what bran flakes are made out of. Some sort of barley. And then put into a lead box. If you did not do that, any other box would blow up. <laughs> any other box would totally blow up. And I don't know how they figured that out. Maybe he commanded a demon to tell him. He's probably like putting it in wooden crates and metal boxes and stuff like that. He's like, you know, I'm really trying to get some sleep. And everything keeps blowing up. You had to wrap it in wool and bran. Put it in a lead box. And it was used to craft the temple. And a couple people got melted by this thing. A couple people got disintegrated by the Shamir. It's interesting because nowadays there's been ancient alien theorists say that it may have been some sort of laser. May have been some sort of laser beam that was able to etch into metal and diamonds and into the temple stone. But theologians go, it probably wasn't a space laser. And probably was a miracle from God. And it may have been alive. Because in the text, it's constantly referred to as a worm. When you look at the Talmud, when you look at the Quran, which also mentions the Shamir. As far as we know, it doesn't exist anymore. And again, theologians debate over this. Some people believe that it was just used up. That it kept getting smaller and smaller. Because each time you use it, it gets a little bit smaller. It was just used up. And just disappeared. The Talmud specifically says, quote, when the temple was destroyed, meaning the first temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed, the Shamir vanished. 
So it was linked to the temple that it was used on, and, and that's why it's more closely connected to Solomon. He was the guy who created this giant house for God, and he was the last person to use it, Solomon's Shemir. So that's just super fascinating, right? We have, at the very least, I don't know which one's very least, but you have possible alien technology in the hands of humans. Like, that's the only way you could think of this thing in any sort of rational way, that it was some sort of alien technology, that it was a laser beam that was used to cut into metal and stone and engrave very, very... King Solomon also used this to make mystical sigils on precious gems. And he would hand these out to people. He wouldn't just walk through the crowd and hand them out, but he would hand them out to people who had earned them. These... Could you... Here's the thing. If the Shamir doesn't exist anymore, the gems do. His ring does. Where are these things? I said, could you imagine getting your hands on that ring? That's that's a high-level object. Imagine if you just had an emerald the size of the palm of your hand, and in it is a magical sigil crafted by King Solomon himself using one of the ten wonders that God created on the sixth day of creation. The power that would exist in that stone is mind-boggling. They're still out there. They're either in someone's private collection, they're in some government's vault, or they're lost somewhere in the Middle East. Or maybe the Crusaders took them and they lost them. But they're somewhere. The Shamir wore down over time, but an emerald the size of the palm of your hand is... It's going to last a while. Going back to the two options, we have the sci-fi laser, but then we just have the other option that this really was one of the ten wonders God created and that mankind had for a moment in time. Had this wondrous object that let them do things that were impossible. Things that we now need tons of technology to do. They have this little worm. Fascinating in and of itself, but then let's look at the Quran to wrap this story up because it gets even weirder when we take a look at this story. I, this episode is going to go long. I can't help it. This is so fascinating to me. In the Quran, it states that it wasn't demons that built the temple in Jerusalem. It was the jinn. And there's a lot of... Sometimes the jinn and the demons are two separate entities. Sometimes the term is used interchangeably. But in this version of the story, the jinn, not demons, are the ones who created the temple under King Solomon's command. This is insane. So King Solomon has the ring. He's commanding the jinn to build the temple. And he watches over them as they're building this temple. And King Solomon has his staff and he's just kind of standing there watching them labor, bringing these rocks over. They're like, ugh. The jinn are working, and they look over, and King Solomon's just watching them. And, oh, man, that guy's such a jerk. <laughs> I can't believe he enslaved us. They keep building the temple. They look over, and King Solomon's standing there watching them. Demons going about their work. And they're building the temple, and they look over, and King Solomon is standing there watching them, just standing there with his staff. And this goes on for about a year or so. And then the jinn, who had been building the temple under his command didn't know that at some point while they were building the temple, he died. 
King Solomon died and he was actually leaning against his staff. He was dead for a year just standing there. And the jinn could have left, could have left the day he died, but they thought he was still in command. So they continued to build him. And the Shamir ate through the bottom of the staff and King Solomon collapsed. And that's when they realized he was dead. This completely boggled the jinn's minds. They had no idea what was going on. Not that they'd been hoodwinked and doing a year's worth of work. What it turns out, this is so insane, has huge implications for the world of the paranormal. What it turns out is when the jinn walked up and they saw that King Solomon was dead and they saw that Shamir kind of crawling around on the ground, they didn't know what it was. They had no idea what they were looking at. And here's why. According to the Quran, the jinn, or demons, extrapolated out to demons because we know that he had power over these creatures. Whether or not you're using the term jinn in this context or demons, these are one and the same in this context. These creatures from hell, under King Solomon's magical command, using his ring, they did not know what magic was. They looked at this little worm just walking around on the ground next to this dead body and they go, what in the world is that? Because only, according to the Quran, this is fascinating, only God knows the secrets of the occult. Only God knows the secrets of magic. So to the demons watching this, they're like, what in the world is that? I've never seen anything like that. Because they don't know anything about magic or magical relics or anything. Fascinating. And you're going, Jason, but wait, no, 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 no. He's using a magical ring. He has these magical sigils. People call demons up today using these magical rituals. This could very well be true. Demons, jinn, whatever you want to call them, may not know magic. And you go, Jason, Jason, wait, wait, wait. You just went on and on about a magical ring with these magical sigils being used to control demons. Clearly, they knew what that was. And today, and really for the past thousands of years, people have used magical rituals to contact demons and control demons and call them forth. What do you mean they don't know anything about magic? You wouldn't think it was magic if it was normal to you. A demon being summoned from hell to earth to make a bargain with someone to sell their soul, that is not magical to them. The same way when someone from across the planet picks up a black piece of plastic and puts in a number and your black piece of plastic rings. Across the planet, you can have a conversation with someone in China. We don't consider that magic. We don't consider the fact that you are listening to my voice recorded at any point in time. You could be listening to this episode the day it came out. You could be listening to this episode five years from now. My voice being captured through metal and wire and then left somewhere in a box that stores information until you access it. That's magic. If you took someone from just a hundred years ago, 
and put them in your house, they would think you were a wizard. And if you took someone from the 1700s and put them in the house of a, someone from the 1920s, they would think they were a wizard. But because the technology is so slow, imagine if in 1988, the internet came out and it was the internet today. The very first, they're like, oh, by the way, we have this thing, it's called a computer. You can use it to talk to anyone around the world. You can play these super immersive video games. You can do everything that we can do today. And there was no little baby steps. People would, people would raid Microsoft. They would think that Microsoft had somehow perfected black magic. If the first movie ever made in 1914 was Transformers 3, Dark of the Moon, people would never go to a movie theater again. It would blow their brains. You had to have photography. And then silent films. And then black and white films. And then color films. You had to have that progression. And that's why we don't think it's magic. Because just in our limited lifetimes, we've seen this progression. To the point that when kids are born now, they assume everything, every phone's a smartphone. So we don't consider it magic, but it's magic. But the reason why we don't consider it magic is because we understand the rules that allow me to talk into a metal... I'm looking at a metal rectangle with a mesh on it. And I'm speaking into it with full faith that you will be able to listen to it years from now. Because I understand how my voice is being caught by the microphone and going through the wires, then going into my laptop and I'm editing it. I understand that. My voice is being converted to ones and zeros. I mean, come on, guys. Come on. This is insane. This is magic. And people complain, ah, oh, there's no magic in the world. We live in a magical reality. Probably the most magical at any point in time in human history we are at right now. But we don't consider it magic because we know the rules that make this stuff available. I understand how movies stream. I understand how movies are made. I understand how a camera works. So to demons, it's not magic. They understand when they are in hell, which is a very real place to them, as real as Arkansas or Saudi Arabia or the middle of the Pacific Ocean is to us, that is hell to them. It is a place that they know exists. And when they're there and they get called, someone performs a ritual and the demon's like, ah, time to go. And he appears on Earth to talk to this human. That's not magical to him because he understands the laws of the universe that allows that to happen. This is mind-blowing. This story is so awesome. Because... They would think it was normal. Deals with the devil? That's just Tuesday to them. And they understand what a soul is. They understand what the afterlife is. They understand how things work. So when you communicate with a demon, to us it may appear magical. But remember, when you reach out to these demonic forces, there is a set of rules. Right? You perform a ritual the same way you call someone. You just can't sit there in your living room and then all of a sudden you're talking to someone. Hey, buddy, how's it going? How's everything going over there in Czechoslovakia? There are rules. You have to know someone's phone number or know their Zoom ID. You then need to use your device to enter that information in and wait until they pick up. All of those are steps. All of those are rules. The same way that a demon gets summoned. To them, it's not magic. It's normal. This is so crazy. 
I absolutely love this story. Not only do we have this relic that, while it may no longer be with us, the Shamir created some powerful icons, some powerful pieces of mystical importance. And where are those, right? What was the Shamir? Was it a worm? Was it some sort of device? But then this idea that demons, supernatural, the, the world of the paranormal, to them, it's normal. Ghosts floating down the hallway to a demon's like, I understand why that works. I understand. We don't know. That's why it's spooky to us. We don't know why there's a ghost there. We don't know how a ghost is created. But demon's like, oh, I totally know. It's super lame. If I explained it to you, you'd probably be disappointed. But when true power from heaven, God knows of the occult. The occult means hidden knowledge. It doesn't mean evil. It doesn't mean demonic. Occult means hidden knowledge. And there is knowledge hidden from demons. There is knowledge hidden from jinn. There is knowledge hidden from Satan himself. And there's knowledge hidden from us. And one person knows the secrets to everything. So to God, the Shamir was... Something so advanced that to everybody else it seems magical. Because that knowledge of what it was, of what it did, how it worked, was hidden from everyone else. It's on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. I love this story. I mean, this is dope. I really, really enjoy this. The world of the paranormal thinks that it's normal. They see nothing weird about what they're doing. They see nothing odd about all the summoning rituals or the bargaining, selling the soul, all of that stuff. They understand how those things work. They look at the rules of the universe and to them, someone calling them up and selling their soul is the equivalent to you logging onto dominoes.com and a pizza showing up 30 minutes later. It's not magical. You understand how it works. But it's magical, right? That I can... And then money, right? Money just digitally gets transferred over. Ones and zeros and zeros and ones just for infinity. Until I get my medium pizza and my Italian sub delivered to me. That's the equivalent of how demons see their interactions with us. It's totally normal. They understand the rules of the universe. They're probably shocked more people don't talk to them, honestly. They're probably like, this is so easy. Like, I'm surprised more people don't try selling their souls. Because they don't see it as magical. They see it as routine as us ordering a pizza or calling a friend. Do demons understand magic? Or is it not magic to them? Is it just real life? Fascinating. Fascinating look. To see the world of the paranormal from the eyes of the entities on the other side. It's not paranormal to them. It's just normal. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.